Hello, my name is Rob Edwards, and this is my podcast. Welcome back, one and all. Uh, I'm back. It's been a few weeks longer than I normally try and leave in between podcasts these days, but I have been working at some work experience uh, at a Finnish primary school. I've been sticking things to walls and cutting out pictures of Wellington boots. It's been a fairly exciting time for me, uh, but that's why I'm down now. So I'm back behind the microphone and I can record a new chapter of Written Blood and Silver for your enjoyment today. Quite an exciting one, this one for me personally. Uh, We get a little bit more insight into the background of Arthur Wessex and we encounter a brand new minion of Volnark. Can Matt survive the encounter? We'll find out in the chapter coming up very soon. Before that, as usual, a little bit of Inklings news. We're a little bit delayed right now. Um, Various important parties within the Inklings group have been suffering through hurricanes and earthquakes. So once the world has stopped being angry at us, uh, we should be back on track with Tales for the Underground. We're really close now. It may even be out before the next chapter of the podcast, but I won't promise on that. Um, We do have paperback copies of all our back catalogue now, so you can find uh, all Inklings Press anthologies in both Kindle form and paperback on Amazon, although we've got a couple of formatting things with Tales from Wonder, so if you uh, want to hang on just a little bit longer on that one, uh, you can get an updated version coming, I hope, fairly soon. It is entirely readable now, it's just got a few uh, pagination problems and stuff like that, really fussy things, but we want to get it right, we want to get it good, so uh, maybe hold off on that a week or two yet. No sign of the Round Table anthology yet. Uh, I have to say, since I've become involved with the world of book production, uh, I've realised quite how difficult it is, and how the unforeseen delays just do tend to crop up. Oh, uh, speaking of book publication and Inklings news... Biggest news of all, I almost forgot that would be terrible. Um, Brent A. Harris, one of my buddies from Inklings, one of the prime movers behind Inklings Press, uh, has published his first novel. Uh, A Time of Need uh, is an alternate history uh, novel uh, set uh, in an alternate version of the War of Independence with George Washington uh, fighting on the side of the British uh, and Benedict Arnold uh, on the side of the Americans. Uh, I haven't read it yet, I have to say. I'm waiting for my copy to arrive. Brent is uh, uh, sending me a copy. Uh, But it is out there. Uh, The reviews of it so far have been really positive. Uh, So I really do recommend you go out yourself and get a copy of that as well. Uh, I've been trying to work out uh, a way to get uh, an interview on the podcast with Brent. uh, But uh, with time differences and the internet, he's in California, I'm in Finland... I may get there yet, but it's not quite ready. We'll try and get one uh, set up for next time. Anyway, that's all the news. Biggest news, time of need, Brent A. Harris. Go find it on Amazon or in other places. It's not an Inklings book. This one's published uh, through Insomnia. Uh, So it's not just on Amazon. Uh, You can get it in uh, Barnes & Nobles and stuff like that as well. Go seek it out. It's going to be a good read because Brent is a good writer. Anyway, right. On with writ in blood and silver, or as I like to say, dun 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 dun. Previously on writ in blood and silver, Matt Chambers, a computer programmer in London, 1999, has discovered that demons are stalking the London underground. 
His newly manifested magical abilities are being trained by two mentors. Uh, Broden, a man from Atlantis, 3,000 years old, and Pete, a barman from South London. There is a prophecy by Arthur Wessex which says that Arthur, Matt and Broden are the only three who can prevent the demon apocalypse. Now, the continuation. Chapter 8 Swings and Roundabouts There's a time and a place for what you're doing with old Broden, Pete said between rounds of training and beer. And that was back in bloody prehistory while trying to fend off what's-its, dinosaurs and the like. Fact is, in this age, you want to kill something? Get a gun. Noble ninja crap aside, armed beats unarmed anywhere outside the movies. He wants you doing all that exercise, you're better off becoming a better runner. Because if it comes down to Marquis of Queensbury between you and old Volnark, nothing Broden can teach you will save you. Well, sure, but this isn't going to be any more helpful. Matt gestured and two small balls of light appeared and chased each other around in a frantic spiral. Ha, you got that right. Well, I made no claims otherwise. I'm just opening the door. No way I'm looking through what's on the other side. That's your job, seeker boy. Matt flicked his fingers and the two balls vanished. Right. Only the seeker may find, he quoted quietly, glancing over at Wessex. He won't tell me what it is I'm supposed to find, though. I mean, I assume it's Volnark, but every time I ask about it, he changes the subject. Pete grimaced. He does? How can you tell? Matt gave a half laugh. Point. But still, they're both worried, Wessex and Broden. Worried that time is running out and I don't understand what we're waiting for. I want to just go look. But when I suggest it to Wessex, he goes pale and Broden just forbids it. If you look into me to get permission, you won't get it, Seeker. I play my part in this. I want you guys to win for all our sakes. But I can't get more involved. It's one reason I won't let you tell me your name. I don't want to know it. I don't want to be connected like that. Peter, you scared? Too bloody right, mate. I don't think you get it. We're involved with the end of the world here. Short words, easy to say. But you ever really understand them? You'll be hiding under your bed, or in a bottle, or on the bloody moon. You won't be in a pub begging for the chance to go looking for the demon apocalypse. What's the worst thing you can imagine? Yeah, well, this is worse than that. And worse than that. And worse again than that. When it comes, anyone involved with trying to stop it is going to get it even worse than that. So thank you for not getting me involved. Matt opened his mouth, wanting to point out that Pete was involved, that knowing Matt's name wouldn't make a bit of difference. But maybe it would. Matt hadn't even begun to understand this world. He'd barely seen the edge of it. He closed his mouth and nodded. You're right, Pete. Of course you are. Perhaps it's for the best. Better that I don't understand, because sooner or later I am going to have to look. If Broden is going to stop that demon apocalypse, I can't hide in my bed or in a bottle. Sooner or later I'm going to have to seek. I am the seeker. Matt felt a hand on his shoulder and looked up into Wessex's face. 
In the shadow of the tower a fire is lit, a light by which to read the name, a name writ on every pebble in the avalanche. Wessex? I've not heard that one before. What's that about? When his name is writ in blood and silver a thousand times, the world shall feel his hand once more, Wessex said, taking a small piece of white card and a pen from his inside pocket. Pete stood so quickly, he knocked his chair over. No, Wessex, absolutely not. Not here. Wessex began to draw, ignoring Pete, who was getting more and more frantic. Matt watched as Wessex drew very precisely on the card. The shape, the design, it wasn't anything Matt knew, but something in him recognised it. It looked almost like a bird, a peacock perhaps, facing right, but twisted and without legs. A squarish head with a single horn, supported by a long thin neck, a misshapen squashed body and a long fan tail, sketched out as two long spines. The card exploded in a burst of flame, and Matt looked up to see Pete standing over them. Matt didn't need to tune his sight to see the power radiating off him. At that moment, the fat landlord was not a friendly buffoon and mentor. Instead, menace poured from him, fire blazed from his eyes, and the room darkened and grew cold around them. There was a clattering noise from the bar, and Matt tore his gaze from Pete to see the pumps fold and twist until the tubes pointed outwards towards them, looking for all the world like barrels of guns. What you almost did here today was unforgivable, Arthur Wessex, Pete said, his voice steel. You know my preference. You know the deal we struck. And still, you almost... No, you will leave this place, Wessex, and you will never return. If you ever set foot in here again, so help me, no matter how important you are to the world, you will be dead. Wessex stared at him and slowly replaced the pen in his jacket pocket. "'Go!' roared Pete, and Wessex nodded sadly, hurried to the door. Matt stood to follow, but Pete raised a hand to stop him. "'Wessex may have forgotten the deer, but I haven't, Seeker. Stay. Lesson's not over yet.' Matt froze in indecision, wanting to go after Wessex, who was clearly on the verge of telling him something important, but also knowing that explanations would be quicker and possibly easier with Pete. As Matt dithered, the room began to brighten again. There was a click-clacking as the pumps returned to normal, and Pete sagged. He all but fell into a chair, grey, drawn, clearly exhausted. With a start, Matt realised that Pete was crying. Fat tears rolled down his cheek. Oh, Lord, muttered Pete. Poor Arthur. Poor, poor Arthur. Matt went to the bar and poured two large whiskies. Pete took the first glass and knocked it back quickly. Then he grabbed the second, drank half of that in a single gulp too. What just happened? asked Matt. I broke an old man's heart and destroyed a decades-long friendship, Pete said bitterly. But he didn't leave me a choice. What he did... What did he do? That thing he was drawing. A bird? Pete finished the second whiskey and stared into the empty glass. 
No. No, not a bird. Volnark. His name, anyway. An ancient symbol for that creature. Its real name, if not its true name. A symbol used to mark his dominion. Wherever you see it, the demon is there. And Wessex... God, what possessed him? Possessed him? Matt asked, startled. No, no, not literally. No, just... What was he thinking? He brings that symbol into the camel. He brings the demon. I told him, Seeker. I told him I'd train you. But that shit stays outside. That was all I asked. That was the deal. Pete sounded forlorn, wretched. I'm sure he didn't mean... No, he probably didn't. But he gave me no choice, and there's no turning back now. He can't do that, and I can't let him do it either. Poor, poor Arthur. I think that was the only friend he had left from before, you know. Oh, he was a bright guy. Clever, witty, wise. And he told the filthiest jokes you ever heard. Old Broden says the Cassandra curse is for Arthur to only repeat his prophecy. Don't believe that. Don't believe it for a second. Arthur sacrificed everything to save the world. Everything he was. It breaks my heart. I hadn't realised. Hadn't thought. Yeah, why would you? You see this weird old man, I bet. Spouts nonsense, a little bit cracked. Let me tell you that Arthur Wessex is dedicated, brave, fiercely determined, and has the sharpest mind you will ever meet. The idiot. Get us another drink, Seeker. Sure. Matt headed back to the bar, mind whirling. Look, okay, if he's so sharp, then why did he break your rules? It must have been important, hugely important. That symbol must be something I'm supposed to see. But he could have shown it to be any time. Why now? Because you weren't ready before? You had just finished declaring yourself the Seeker, Seeker. Hmm. Well, maybe. But he could still have... Wait. The, the new bit of prophecy. Something about a fire being lit in the tower. To see the name? This is the tower. The camel and tower, right? Well, I tend to call it the camel, but... Yeah. But, look, prophecies don't work like that. They're more what's-it. Allegorical. That's just saying the name of the building. Yeah. No, but it fits. I don't think Arthur had a choice. I think that's prophecy told him he had to do that here and now. Matt put down the glasses, still unfilled. Pete, I don't... I don't know how or why, but what just happened here was important. He sacrificed again your friendship, because it was another step along the path he saw. I... I have to go after him. Pete, I'll come back in a couple of days, but I need to talk to Wessex now. Pete nodded. Fine, Seeker. Go. But our lessons aren't done yet. Bring the bottle on your way out. Matt left Pete to his drink and ran out into the cold October evening. Even now, traffic swelled around the Elephant and Castle roundabout, and Matt looked about, trying to spot Wessex's retreating form, but there was no sign. Matt crossed over and headed to the underground station. Where would Wessex go? Back home to his lab, presumably. And if not there, Matt had no idea. Decided, he headed for the stairs. He didn't want to wait for the lift, and this way he might simply catch up with Wessex. 
but the stairwell was empty. The journey up the Bakerloo line was equally uneventful, despite Matt fidgeting with his nervous energy throughout. He left the train at Oxford Circus and picked his way through the streets at ground level, but when he reached Wessex Lab, it was closed and dark. Matt stared up at the empty windows, letting the sea of evening revellers wash past him. Damn it, Wessex. What was this all about? Kate was already fast asleep by the time he got back to the flat. Matt had forgotten she was coming over tonight, but that argument could wait until the morning. She stirred briefly as he got undressed, but went back to sleep again as he slipped under the covers beside her. Matt's mind was whirring, trying to process another strange day in his increasingly strange life. He stared at the ceiling, listening to Kate breathe, trying to put things straight. Sleep was a long time coming, but he finally sank into it some time after the tenth review of Wessex and Pete's argument. He exploded awake again, shivering, screaming, cold sweat prickling his skin. He was sat in bed, breathing fast, shallow and harsh, muscles cramping and twisting in his legs and arms. He felt Kate's hand on his shoulder. That was some nightmare, she said, sounding groggy. What was it about? What scared you so badly? Nothing, Matt said automatically, and then realised it was true. He wasn't scared. Instead, a hot fire burned in his chest, his hands clenched in fists. Something in his dream needed hitting. His whole body shuddered, some basic need, fight or flight, that he didn't want to run from. Go back to sleep, hon. I'm going to get a glass of water, maybe walk it off a bit. Kate, Kate murmured. Matt got up and went to the living room to pace, trying to get his rage under control. He wanted to hit something, or break something, or scream at the world until he was hoarse. He looked at his hand and could see it shaking. What had the dream been about? He racked his brain, and suddenly the image that Wessex had drawn swam past his mind's eye, and he felt the fury rise again. He kicked out of the chair and received a sharp pain in his toes as reward. The pain distracted him from his anger at least, and Matt sank into the sofa, clutching his foot, swearing softly to himself. He couldn't remember anything more about the dream, though, and between dream and injury he wasn't going to go back to sleep tonight. He lay on the sofa until the pain ebbed, staring out of the window. Grey fingers of light gripped the sky. The tube will be running by now. It was an odd thought, one tinged with temptation. What was he tempted by? What was tempting about it? He was still angry, he realised, still wanted to hit something. But it was a focused anger, and he knew that there were things out there that deserved... No, he wasn't ready. Not really. Three lessons from Broden, four from Pete. He barely made a start, hadn't learned anything like enough. Sure, last time he'd met them. He'd held his own for a while, and that was before any training. He knew more now and knew some of the Abadak's weaknesses. Broden had shown him the theory, and it would be a way to start seeking. No. Nope, he should just go back to bed, find Wessex or Broden in the morning, talk to them about the dream, about everything. They understood. He'd find some way to make them make him 
Understand. It was the only sensible plan. Hell, Matt said. The truth was, there was no reason to think that Wessex or Broden would be any more forthcoming than they had been so far, assuming he could even find them again. And waiting didn't solve the problem. I'm going to do this, Matt told the empty room. He dressed quickly and scribbled Kate a hurried note. As he was looking for some place to put it, so she would see it, he found a note she'd left him last night. Don't forget about party, Friday. Found you a new costume. It was pinned to a tuxedo hanging from a hanger in the hallway. He must have passed it last night when he got in. Matt smiled, very James Bond and far less fraught than the wizard costume. Remembering how long it had taken to find an Abadak the last time, Matt hurriedly made a few sandwiches and stuffed them and a paperback into his bag. By the time he got to the tube station, it was already 7am, and rush hour was well underway. Matt squeezed himself into the last but one carriage, no choice of a seat, but he managed to wedge himself into the doorway at the end, crowded in but not surrounded. For the moment, he let himself relax. There was enough daylight. It would keep the men in red away, at least until they went underground at Stratford. Although, now he thought, he'd never actually checked that theory with Broden. Too late now. The train pulled into Leightonstone, and even more people got on. Everyone just pressed together, filling every possible space. A man forced his way in at the middle doors, and a wave of jostling propagated down the carriage. Angry mutters followed in its wake. Matt focused his eyes to see the energy in the carriage. It was awash with emotion, in contrast to the practised, smooth, expressionless faces of his fellow commuters. A turbulent haze of frustration, annoyance and weariness sat over them, swirled around them, seeped in and bled out from everyone on the tube, creating a kind of feedback loop. The train juddered to a halt. Sorry about this, we're being held at a signal until the platform at Leyden frees up. Shouldn't be long. The driver's voice over the speakers. The energy in the carriage spiked, lighting up, the subtle colours of annoyance overwhelming everything else for a moment, before fading into the muted tones of frustrated acceptance. Matt blinked his sight back to normal. Seeing all the energy was depressing, or maybe even a little scary. They pulled away again and spent a couple of stop-start jerky minutes limping into Leighton Station. The platform heaving with yet more people, all wanting to get on. But there was nowhere for them to go. There was a squeeze at the doors as commuters tried to find any space to let them board, but nobody on the train moved. Matt's attention was drawn by someone knocking on the window. He couldn't see them with the press in the way but the knocking sounded a second time, and it was followed by a woman's voice coming from outside, sounding testy. Can you move down, please? Matt could almost feel people digging in their heels to stop anyone getting on. Bad enough that they were packed in like sardines, the idea that anyone thought there was anywhere for people to go to let you more sardines into the tin, ridiculous. Knock, knock, knock. Can you move down, please? There's room in the middle, I can see it. Move down, please, we have to get to work too. 
Every word just reinforced the resolve of the people on the carriage. Muttering began. Nowhere to move to. Can't you wait? It's illegal to move cattle like this, but here we are. As the doors closed and the train pulled away from the station, Matt blinked and looked at the energy in the carriage once more. It had become a boiling, churning, seething mass, almost a physical presence pushing his fellow passengers down. It twisted and oozed around them, lit with anger and hate and resentment, bubbling over, pressure building. Ah, delicious. And now to let it simmer just a little longer. It was a woman's voice, coming from nearby. A voice that had sounded moments ago from the platform at Leighton. A woman that had been left behind at Leighton, surely. Matt turned to look, and with his vision tuned to magic, there was no mistaking the creature for a woman. Matt couldn't make out the details. There was just an absence, a void in the energy field that felt wrong. In the part of the void that on a person would be a face. Two fires burned, swirling in time with the magic around them. Two eyes in the void. Matt stared, and those fires turned to look back. He couldn't say how he knew, but he got a sudden sense of surprise. This creature had not expected to be seen, let alone stared at. What are you? Matt asked. And the void opened. Energy flowed into it as the creature began to feed, harvesting all the negative energy it had deliberately fostered. But this creature was not just skimming off the top. She was trying to pull all of the energy around her. Was it frightened, preparing to fight? Was it just angry at being discovered? Matt didn't know, but as a wave of sudden weariness washed over him, energy torn from him and everyone else in the carriage. Matt sagged sideways, stumbled, lost his focus and his view of the flows. From his throat and every other throat in the carriage, he heard the same scream of pain and fear. Okay, well, perhaps when I said earlier that we would find out if Matt would survive the encounter uh, with the new uh, minion of Volnark, I wasn't being entirely truthful, as we seem to have a bit of a cliffhanger at this point. Uh, we'll find out next time uh, whether Matt survives his encounter uh, with the move down lady, as I'm calling them. In the meantime, thanks very much for listening. Uh, the next episode of the podcast, I'm hoping to get out uh, sort of the middle of October. It won't be quite at the start of October, but I don't want to leave it this late. I want to get us back on track. If you're interested, I have uh, revealed the cover of the paperback edition and the Kindle edition uh, of Written Blood and Silver. That's going to go onto my blog uh, as well. I put it on my Facebook page. And if you're not following me on Facebook, uh, visit facebook.com slash storycastrob. Or you can follow me on Twitter uh, at storycastrob as well. In the meantime, thanks for listening.